0: lectures to my students by charles virgin to call to the ministry and a christian who has the ability to do so has a right to publicize the gospel he not only has a right but it is also his duty to do so as long as he lives for the gospel will be preached till the end matthew 24 verse 14. the propagation of the gospel is not for the few but for all the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to the measure of grace entrusted to them by the Holy Spirit. Each man is bound to minister in his day and generation, both to the church and among them believers. Indeed, this question goes beyond men and even includes women. Whether believers are male or female, they are all bound when enabled by divine grace to exert themselves to the utmost to extend the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our service, however, need not take the particular form of preaching, certainly in some cases it must not. For instance, in the case of females, their public teaching is expressly prohibited, 1 Timothy 2, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34. But yet, if we have the opportunity to let our light shine for Christ, we are bound to exercise it. I do not, however, in this lecture allude to occasional preaching or any other form of ministry common to all the saints, but to the working office of the bishop, in which is included both teaching and bearing rule in the church. This requires the dedication of a man's entire life to spiritual work and separation from every secular calling, 2 Timothy 2 verse 4 and entitles a man to cast himself for temporal supplies upon the church of God, since he gives up all of his time, energies, and endeavors for the good of those over whom he presides. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 11, 1 Timothy 5, verse 18. Such a man is addressed by Peter in the words, Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Now, Not all in a church can oversee or rule. There must be some to be overseen and ruled. We believe that the Holy Spirit appoints in the church of God some to act as overseers, while others are made willing to be washed over for their good. All are not called to labor in word and doctrine, or to be elders, or to exercise the office of a bishop. Nor should all aspire to such work, since the gifts necessary are nowhere promised to all. But those who believe that they have received this call, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, should addict themselves to it. No man may intrude into the sheepfold as an under-shepherd. He must have an eye to the chief shepherd and wait his beck and call. If ever a man stands forth as God's ambassador, he must wait for the call from above. And if he does not, but rushes into the sacred office, the Lord will say of him and others like him, I did not send them, nor commanded them. Therefore they shall not profit his people at all, saith the Lord. Jeremiah 23, verse 32. By reference to the Old Testament, you will find the messengers of God in the Old Dispensation claiming to hold commissions from Jehovah. Isaiah tells us that one of the seraphim touched his lips with a live coal from off the altar, and the voice of the Lord said, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Isaiah 6, verse 8. Then said the prophet, Here am I. Send me. He did not run until he had been specially visited by the Lord and qualified for his mission. How shall they preach except they be sent? Were words as yet unuttered. But their solemn meaning was well understood. Jeremiah details in his call in the first chapter. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee, in the belly I knew thee, and before thou camest forth, out of the womb I sanctified thee, and ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Do not say I am a child, for you shall go to all that I shall send you, and whatsoever I command you, you shall speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Jeremiah 1 verses 4 to 10. Varying in its outward form, but to the same implication was the commission of Ezekiel. It runs thus, in his own words. And he said to me, Son of man, stand upon your feet, and I will speak to you. And the spirit entered into me when he spake to me, and set me upon my feet. Then I heard him that spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that is rebelled against me. Then their fathers have transgressed against me, even to this very day. Ezekiel 2, verses 1 and 3. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat that you find. Eat this roll, and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said to me, Son of man, cause your belly to eat. And fill your bowels with this roll that I give you. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of Man, go get you to the house of Israel and speak with my words unto them. Ezekiel three verses one to four. Daniel's called a prophecy, although not recorded, is abundantly attested by the visions granted to him and the exceeding favor which he had with the Lord. Both in his solitary meditations and public acts. It isn't needful to pass all all the other prophets in review, for they all claim to speak with, Thus saith the Lord. In the present dispensation, the priesthood is common to all the saints, but to prophesy, or what is parallel thereto, namely, to be moved by the Holy Spirit to give oneself up wholly to the proclamation of the gospel. Is a gift and calling of only a comparatively small number. Surely these need to be assured of the rightness of their position as were the prophets, and yet, how can they justify their office except by a similar call? We should not imagine that such calls are a mere delusion, and that none are in this age separated for the peculiar work of teaching and overseeing the church. For the very names given to ministers in the New Testament imply a previous call to their work. The apostle says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. But does not the very soul of the ambassadorial office lie in the appointment which is made by the monarch represented? An ambassador unsent would be a laughing stock. Men who dare to avow themselves ambassadors for Christ must feel most solemnly that the Lord has committed them to the word of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. If it be said that this is restricted to the apostles, I answer that the epistle is written not in the name of Paul only, but but of Timothy also. And hence he includes other ministers besides the apostleship. In the first epistle to the Corinthians we read, Let a man so account of us, Dios, meaning Paul and Sosthenes, as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Surely a steward must hold his office from the master. He cannot be a steward merely because he chooses to be so, or is so regarded by others. If any of us should elect ourselves stewards to the Marquis of Westminster and proceed to deal with his property, we should have our mistake very speedily pointed out to us in the most convincing manner. There must be evident authority before a man can legally become a bishop, the steward of God, Titus 1, seven, The apocalyptic title of angel, Revelation 2, one means messenger. How should men be Christ's heralds unless by his election and ordination? If the reference of the word angel to the minister be questioned, we should be glad to have it shown that it can relate to anyone. Ask yourself, to whom else would the spirit write in the church as its representative, but to someone in a position equivalent to that of the presiding elder? Titus was bidden to make full proof of his ministry. There was surely something to prove. Some are vessels unto honor, sanctified in meat for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work, 2 Timothy 2, verse 21. The master is not to be denied the choice of the vessels he uses. He will still say, of certain men as he did of Saul of Tarsus, He is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles, Acts 9, verse 15. When our Lord ascended on high, he gave gifts. To men and it is noteworthy that these gifts were men set apart for various works he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers ephesians four eleven. 11 from which it is evident that certain individuals are as a result of our lord's ascension bestowed upon the churches as pastors dear given of god and consequently not self elevated to their position brethren. I trust you may be able one day to speak of the flock, over whom the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, Acts 20.28. 20, and I pray that every one of you may be able to say with the apostle of the Gentiles that your ministry is not of man, neither by man, but that you have received it of the Lord, Galatians 1.1. 1, 1. May saints and promise be fulfilled in you. I will give them pastors according to mine heart, Jeremiah 3.15. I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them, Jeremiah 23, verse 4. May the Lord himself fulfill among yourselves his own declaration. I have set watchmen over your walls of Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night. May take forth the precious from the vile, and so be as God's mouth, Jeremiah 15, verse 19. May the Lord make manifest by you the savor of the knowledge of Jesus in every place and make you unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 15 Having a priceless treasure in earth and vessels, may the excellency of the divine power rest upon you. And so may you both glorify God and clear yourselves from the blood of all men. As the Lord Jesus went up to the mount, and called to him whom he would, and sent them forth to preach, even so may he Select you, call you upward to commune with himself, and send you forth as his Select servants to bless both the church and the world. How may a young man know whether he is called to the ministry or not? That is a weighty question, and I desire to treat it most solemnly. Oh, for divine guidance in so doing! It is sorrowfully evident from the fruitless ministries and decaying churches which surround us that hundreds have missed their way and stumbled against a pulpit. It is a fearful calamity to a man miss his calling, and to the church upon whom he imposes himself. His mistake involves an affliction of the most grievous kind it be a curious and painful subject for reflection, the frequency with which men in the possession of reason mistake the end of their existence and aim at objects which they were never intended to pursue. When I think upon the infinite mischief which may result from a mistake as to our vocation for the Christian pastorate, I feel overwhelmed with fear, lest any of us should be slack in examining our credentials. I'd rather that we stood too much in doubt, and examined too frequently, then that we should become cumbers of the ground. There are many exact methods by which a man may test his call to the ministry if he earnestly desires to do so. It is imperative for him not to enter the ministry until he has made a solemn quest and trial of himself as to this point. His own personal salvation being secure, he must investigate as to the further manner of his call to the office, The first is vital to himself as a Christian, the second equally vital to him as a pastor. He may as well be a professor without conversion, as a pastor without calling. In both cases, there is a name and nothing more. The first sign of the heavenly call is an intense, all-absorbing desire for the work. In order to have a true call to the ministry, there must be an irresistible, overwhelming craving and raging thirst for telling others what God has done for our own souls. What if I call it a kind of a natural drive, such as birds have for rearing their young, when the season has come, when the mother bird would sooner die than leave her nest? It was said of... Joseph Allain, by one who knew him intimately, that was infinitely and insatiably greedy of the conversion of souls. When he might have had a fellowship at his university, he preferred a chaplaincy because he was inspired with an impatience to be occupied in direct ministerial work. Do not enter the ministry if you can help it was the deeply sage advice of a pastor, to one who sought his judgment. If any student in this room could be content to be a newspaper editor, a grocer, a farmer, a doctor, a lawyer, a senator, king in the name of heaven and earth, let him go his way. He is not the man in whom dwells the spirit of God in its fullness. For a man so filled with God would utterly be weary of any pursuit but that for which his inmost soul pants. If, on the other hand, you can say that for all the wealth in the world, you would not dare espouse any other calling that would hinder you from preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, then depend upon it, you have the signs of this apostleship. We must feel that woe is unto us if we preach not the gospel. The word of God must be to us as fire in our bones. Otherwise, if we undertake the ministry, we shall be unhappy in it. We shall be unable to bear the self-denials that come with it, and shall be of little service to those among whom we minister. I speak of self-denials, and well I may, for the true pastor's work is full of them, and without a love for his calling he will soon succumb and either leave the drudgery or move on in discontent, burdened with a monotony as tiresome as that of a blind horse in a mill. Girded with that love, you will be undaunted, but divested of that you will pine away in wretchedness. This desire also must be a thoughtful one. It should not be a sudden impulse unattended by anxious consideration. It should be the outgrowth of our heart in its best moments, the object of our reverent aspirations, the subject of our most. Fervent prayers, it must continue with us when temptations of wealth and comfort come into conflict with it and remain as a calm, clear-headed resolve after everything has been estimated at its right figure and the cost thoroughly counted. Mark, well, the desire I've spoken of must be thoroughly objective. If a man can detect after the most earnest self-examination any other motive than the glory of God, and the good of souls that is seeking the office of bishop. He had better turn aside from it at once, for the Lord will abhor the bringing of buyers and sellers into his temple. The introduction of anything greedy, even in the smallest degree, will be like to fly in the pot of ointment, and will spoil it all. The desire for the ministry should be one which continues with us, a passion which bears a test of trial, A longing from which it is quite impossible for us to escape, though we may have tried to do so. A desire, in fact, which grows more intense by the lapse of years until it becomes a yearning, a pining, a famishing to proclaim the word. This intense desire is so noble and beautiful a thing that whenever I perceive it glowing in a young man's bosom, I'm always slow to discourage him even though I may have my doubts as to his abilities. It may be needful for reasons to be given further on to repress the flame, but it should always be reluctantly and wisely done. I have such a profound respect for this fire in the bones, that if I did not feel it myself, I should leave the ministry at once. If you do not feel the consecrated glow, I beseech you to return to your homes and serve God in your proper spheres but if assuredly the coals of juniper blaze within, do not stifle them unless indeed other considerations a great moment should prove to you that the desire is not a fire of heavenly origin. In the second place, combined with the earnest desire to become a pastor, there must be aptness to teach in some measure of the other qualities needful for the office of a public instructor. If a man is to prove his call, He must make a successful trial of these qualifications. I do not claim that the first time a man rises to speak, he must preach as well as Robert Hall did in his later days. If he preaches no worse than that great man did at the first, he must not be condemned. You are aware that Robert Hall broke down altogether three times and cried, If this does not humble me, nothing will. Some of the noblest speakers were not in their early days the most fluent. Even Cicero at first suffered from a weak voice and difficulty of utterance. Still, a man must not consider that he is called to preach until he has proved that he can speak. God certainly has not created behemoth to fly, and should Leviathan have a strong desire to ascend with a lark, it would evidently be an unwise aspiration, since he is not furnished with wings." If a man be called to preach, he will be endowed with a degree of speaking ability, which he will cultivate and increase. If the gift of utterance is not there in some measure at the first, it is not likely that it will ever be developed. I have heard of a gentleman who had a most intense desire to preach. He pressed his aspiration upon his minister, until after a multitude of rebuffs he obtained permission to preach, a trial sermon. That opportunity was the end of his importunity, for upon announcing his text he found himself bereft of every idea but one which he delivered feelingly and then descended a platform. My brethren, he said, if any of you think it is an easy thing to preach, I advise you to come up here and have all the conceit taken out of you. The trial of your powers will go far to reveal to you your deficiency if you have not the needed ability. I know of nothing better than giving ourselves a fair trial in this manner, or we will not be sure whether God has called us or not. And during the probation, we must often ask ourselves whether upon the whole we can hope to edify others with such discourses. We must, however, do much more than rely on our own conscience and judgment, for we are poor judges a certain class of brethren has a great facility for discovering that they have been very wonderfully and divinely helped in their sermons. I should envy their glorious liberty and self-complacency, if there were any ground for it. For I very frequently have to bemoan and mourn over my own lack of success and shortcomings as a speaker. There is not much dependence to be placed upon our own opinion, but much may be learned from judicious, spiritually-minded persons It is by no means a law which ought to bind all persons, but still it is a good old custom in many of our country churches for the young man who aspires to the ministry to preach before the church. It can hardly ever be a pleasant ordeal for the youthful aspirant, and in many cases it will scarcely be a very edifying exercise for the people, but still it may prove a most constructive piece of discipline and save the public exposure of rampant ignorance. Considerable weight is to be given to the judgment of men and women who live near to God. And in most instances, their verdict will not be a mistaken one. Yet, this appeal is not final nor infallible, and is only to be estimated in proportion to the intelligence and piety of those consulted. I remember well how earnestly I was dissuaded from preaching by as godly a Christian matron as ever breathed. The value of her opinion I endeavoured to estimate with candour and patience, but it was outweighed by the judgment of persons of wider experience. Young men in doubt will do well to take with them their wisest friends when next they go out to the country chapel or village meeting room to deliver the word. I have noted, and our venerable friend Mr. Rogers has observed the same, that you, gentlemen, students, as a body, in your judgment of one another are seldom, if ever, wrong. There has hardly ever been an instance where the general opinion of the entire college concerning a brother has been erroneous. Men are not quite so unable to form an opinion of each other as they are sometimes supposed to be. Meeting, as you do in a class, in prayer meeting, in conversation, and in various religious engagements, you gauge each other and a wise man will be slow to set aside a verdict of the house. I would not complete this point if I did not add that one's mere ability to edify and aptness to teach is not enough. There must be all other talents to complete the pastoral character. Sound judgment and solid experience must instruct you. Gentle manners and love and affections must sway you. Firmness and courage must be manifest, and tenderness and sympathy must not be lacking. Gifts of administration and ruling well will be as requisite as gifts. Instructive and teaching well, you must be fitted to lead, prepared to endure, and able to persevere. In grace, you should be head and shoulders above the rest of the people, able to be their father and counselor, Heed carefully the qualifications of a bishop given in 1 Timothy 3, 2-7 and in Titus 1, 6-9. If such gifts and graces be not in you nor abound, it may be impossible for you to succeed as an evangelist, but as a pastor you will be of no account. Thirdly, In order to prove a man's call after a little exercise of his gifts, such as I have already spoken of, he must see a measure of conversion going on under his efforts, or he may conclude that he has made a mistake, and therefore may go back by the best way he can. It is not to be expected that upon the first or even twentieth effort in public we should be imparted with success, a man may even give himself a lifelong trial of preaching, if he fails called to do so. But it seems to me that, as a man is to be set apart to the ministry, his commission is without guarantee until souls are won by his competence and the knowledge of Jesus. As a worker, he is to work on whether he succeeds or not, but as a minister, he cannot be sure of his vocation till results are apparent. How my heart leaped for joy when I heard tidings of my first convert. I could never be satisfied with a full congregation and the kind expressions of friends until I heard that hearts had been broken and that tears had been streaming from the eyes of repentant people. How I rejoice as one that finds grace spoil over one's poor laborer's wife who confessed that she felt the guilt of sin and had found a savior under my discourse on a Sunday afternoon. I have the cottage in which she lived in my mind Now, and believe me, it always appears picturesque. I remember well her being received into the church, and also her dying and going home to heaven. She was the first seal on my ministry, and I can assure you a very precious one indeed. No mother was ever happier at the sight of her first born son. I could have sung the song of Mary. My soul did magnify the Lord for remembering my low estate and giving me the great honour to do a work. Which all generations should call me blessed for, for so I counted the conversion of that one soul. There must be some measure of conversion work in your everyday labours before you can believe that preaching is to be your life's work. Remember the Lord's words by the prophet Jeremiah. They are very much to the point, and should alarm all fruitless preachers. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people and would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Jeremiah 23, verses 21 and 22. It is a marvel to me how men can continue at ease in preaching year after year without seeing conversions. Have they no heart of compassion for others? No sense of responsibility upon themselves, dare they, by a vain misrepresentation of divine sovereignty cast a blame on their master? Or is it their belief to Paul Plants, and Apollos Waters, and that God gives no increase? Vain are their talents, their philosophy, their rhetoric, and even their orthodoxy without any sign of converse. How are they sent of God, to bring no men to God? Prophets, whose words are powerless. Sowers, whose seed withers. Fishers, who take no fish. Soldiers, who give no wounds. Are these gods, men? Surely it'd be better to be one who rakes mud or sweeps a chimney than to be one who stands in a ministry as an utterly barren tree. The most menial occupation confers some benefit upon mankind. But the wretched man who occupies a pulpit and never glorifies his god with converts is a blank, blot, an eyesore, a mischief. He is not worth the salt he eats, much less his bread. And if he writes to newspapers to complain of the smallness of his salary, his conscience, as he has any, might well reply, and what you do have is undeserved. Times of drought there may be, And years of leanness may consume the former years of usefulness. But still, there will be fruit in the main, and fruit to the glory of God. Meanwhile, the momentary barrenness will fill the soul with unutterable anguish. Brethren, if the Lord gives you no zeal for souls, keep to the hammer or the trowel, but avoid the pulpit as you value your heart's peace and your future salvation. A step beyond all this is, however, needful in our analysis. The will of the Lord concerning pastors is made known through the prayerful judgment of his church. It is needful as a proof of your vocation that your preaching should be acceptable to the people of God. God usually opens doors of utterance for those whom he calls to speak in his name. Impatience would push open or break down the door. But faith waits upon the Lord. In a due season, our opportunity is awarded her. When opportunity arrives, then comes our trial. Standing up to preach, our spirit will be judged by the assembly, and if it be condemned, or if, as a general rule, the church is not edified, the conclusion may not be disputed. We are not sent of God. The signs and marks of a true bishop are laid down in the word for the guidance of the church if in following such guidance the brethren see not in us the qualifications and do not elect us to office. It is plain enough that, however well we may evangelize, the office of the pastor is not for us. Churches are not all wise. Many of them judge after the flesh and not in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet, I would sooner accept the opinion of a company of the Lord's people than my own upon so personal a subject as my individual gifts and graces. At any rate, whether you value the verdict of the church or not, one thing is certain. None of you can be pastors without the loving consent of the flock. Therefore, this will be to you a practical indicator, if not a correct one. If your call from the Lord is real, you will not long be silent. As surely as a man wants his hour, so surely the hour wants his man. The church of God is always urgently in need of living ministers. To her a man is always more precious than the gold of ophir. Formal officials lack and suffer hunger, but the anointed of the Lord need never be without a charge, for there are quick ears which will know them by their speech, and ready hearts to welcome them to their appointed place. Be fit for your work and you will never be out of it. Do not run about inviting yourselves to preach here and there. Be more concerned about your ability than your opportunity, and be more in earnest about your walk with God than about either. The sheep will know the godsend shepherd. The porter of the fold will open to you, and the flock will know your voice.